This is Letitia Styles from Young Finances, and it's a great day to listen to the Personal Profitability Podcast. You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast for episode number 15. Today, wow, 15. That seems like a just yesterday, I was recording 14. <laughs> so uh, today, um, I have a very special guest. We've recently been talking a lot on the blog about freelancing and how to get started there. And in our last episode, I was talking about how I started freelancing myself and became a part-time freelancer. But I wanted to give you the whole story of what freelancing could offer. So I brought on a special guest today, Miranda Marquit. Now, Miranda, I met through the Financial Blogger Conference, FinCon, and um, we've had great great hangouts and conversations there. And she is on with us today to share her journey to how she became a full-time freelancer and talk about all the the downsides, the upsides, and everything in between. So I'll give everyone a a howdy, howdy, Miranda. Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me on. And I would just like you to know that in Idaho, where I live now, the you can get your driver's license at age 15. So this episode can be driving a car. 15. Wow. See, look, look how fast I've aged in, in just these months. Now I can drive a car. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's funny. I guess this is it for all the farms and whatnot out there. People need to drive a little younger to yeah. help out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. I've had my driver's license since 15, but when I went to get insurance back when I lived in New York, they would not accept that I had had my driver's license that long. Like well, it just, it kept, it kept the software that the insurance agent was using just kept Pushing it back out. It was so crazy. You had to just lie and say you were 16 and you got I it? I did. You know, New York, it's 18, isn't it? I think. I don't know what the yeah. driving age is there. I think, I think it's 18. Well, anyway. all, I know, all I know is that they just, it, that New York could not wrap its head around the fact that I had had my driver's license since I was 15. <laughs> well, well, I'm impressed. I, I didn't get it till I was 16. So you got a year on me there. There we go. <laughs> So anyway, why we're really here today, not not to talk about driver's licenses, though it's, it's an interesting topic. Um, I want, we were here to talk about freelancing. So um, for, for listeners out there, Miranda's really one of the top recognized experts in the, in the financial blogging community on all things freelancing. She's written extensively about it, has a blog about it, I actually linked to it in an epic freelancing post that uh, came out uh, a couple weeks ago on Monday. And... Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you here, Miranda, to, to talk about it. So could you share, uh, how, did, how did you get starting, started in freelancing? Where did you make your first freelancing dollar? <laughs> My first freelancing dollar uh, was made, oh gosh. Uh, we're going way back. In, in, we're going way back. We are going 10 years back. Which, which in blog years is like you know, 90 years ago. Oh yeah, it's like forever ago. So, <laughs> so that's way back. And so I'm trying to remember. So my first freelancing dollar was probably made writing keyword articles back when that was a thing. Okay, I, I remember those yeah, days. 
<laughs> vaguely in the in the far past of Google <laughs> when you could when you could write something that was 350 word words long and stuff a bunch of keywords in it and put it on Google and it would be you know put it on the internet and Google would find it so <laughs> so that was probably my first freelancing dollar nothing really exciting nothing really uh fancy nothing highbrow all writers myself included dream of writing something highbrow when they get, you know, going, I'm going to write all these high minded pieces and get paid for it. And it's going to be an intellectual life of the mind and I'm going to get paid for it. And no, I ended up writing keyword articles. That was the first thing I did. So when, <laughs> when you started, did they find you or did you look out and say, Oh, can I, I want to make a few dollars on the side or you know, I'm looking for a new career. What, how did you get started? Where, where did that come to be? Yeah. So basically I wanted to be able to work from home. Uh, my son at the time was right around three. And so I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be able to work from home. So I had finished, I got my master's degree in journalism and I had finished my master's degree in journalism. And, uh, my husband at the time was just getting started on his PhD program. And so I, I just decided that I was going to do this from home and that's what I was going to do. And I, there was no job to quit. There was, there was nothing else to do. There was just my husband's student loans and me trying to make rent. And so what I did was I hit the job boards. There are freelancing job boards out there that you can look at and look for freelancing work. And that's what I did is just look for freelance job boards and apply for all of these different jobs. And that's how I got my first job was applying through this freelance job, through a freelance job board. So it wasn't like a, uh, one of those big content mills like eHow or anything like that. It was a specific job you were brought on to do. Yeah. So it was, it was a specific job for, uh, for catalog. Kind of retailer place, and they did window treatments, you know, like blinds and curtains. Mm -hmm. And so I just wrote 350 word articles about, you know, window treatments, about Brazilian blinds and <laughs> Roman shades and those kinds of things. So, yeah, I just, uh, they were looking for somebody to write regular articles so that they could populate their site because it was at a time when Google was just you know, starting to be really a popular search engine and a 350 word article could, you know, help somebody find you, find right. your, you know, find your high quality window treatments. So, <laughs> so I applied for that job and that's what I did. And in the meantime, I did other things. I did start writing for, it was, it was associated content at the time. I was there right when associated content first started and I wrote for them, uh, just, because it was a way for me to basically set my own pay scale, right? I, as, mm -hmm. as many as you wrote and turned in, that's as many as they paid you for. So once that started up, I started doing that. And then, of course, it became Yahoo Voices. And then now it doesn't exist. <laughs> so <laughs> the life cycle, the life cycle of the Internet right there. So do you remember uh, what you got, if you don't mind sharing, what you were paid mm -hmm. for those 350 word articles? Oh, so sad. $5 a piece. $5 a piece. So we, we all have humble beginnings. My first paid, yeah. um, paid writing thing was actually, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was link building through my blog, which was brand, brand new. I was like, sweet, someone will pay me $10 to write a blog post on my own blog about something <laughs> um, that I would maybe write about anyway and put a link into some 
UK insurance company. How cool is that? That, that was how my, my first online dollars uh, for my finance blog started. Actually, it was sort of my, my first real online dollar I earned. Actually, I don't even know if I've talked about this on the podcast or the blog before. When I was in high school, I was a huge pro wrestling fan. It was still called WWF back then. So I made uh-huh. a fan site and I wrote about all the wrestlers on my GeoCities site. And oh, put, nice. GeoCities. Uh, yeah. And I had to learn HTML and all that to make it work. And there was predating, you know, Google didn't even exist yet. Yahoo right. had a banner ad network. You could put banner ads on your sites. And nice. if people clicked on your banners, you'd get a nickel. And I think I made like $3 from that. Very so cool. That Look was, at you. <laughs> I know. In high school, I made $3. Sweet. Good job. Hey, <laughs> didn't you even, know. Didn't even cover a Chipotle burrito. All, <laughs> all that work. Anyway, so um, so I'm, I'm guessing you make more than $5 per 350 words now. How did you progress your career from window treatments? What came next after that? <laughs> Well, as I said, I started writing for Associated Content when it started out, and I just started applying for a lot of different jobs. One of the first things that I started doing after the window treatment good times was was this website called uh, phys.org. So it's this physics website. And in a former life, I was a physics major. And so... I, and I, and I had always wanted to do science writing and I had a, I had had a former classmate of mine at, uh, at Syracuse where I did my journalism graduate degree. He was working at discover magazine. And so he ended up throwing me a couple of front of the book type pieces to do on a freelance basis. So that was nice. So I had that, uh, to help out a little bit, but I did apply for this phys.org. Uh, website because I did want to be a science writer. I thought that's what I would do is write about science. And I got that job. They, they were concerned that I didn't have a degree in science, but when I showed them some of my writing samples and showed them that, you know, I, I had the ability to interview people and condense what they said and make it relatable. That's when they decided to hire me because then I, I had, I had just enough science knowledge to understand and interview these scientists but I wasn't so steeped in it that I couldn't translate it for like regular people, right? Yeah, that's, that's an important thing. If you want, <laughs> right. if you want normal people to read your stuff, you have to write for normal people. I've, that's that's right. <laughs> my sister is in uh, she's in medical school now. During her undergrad, she was doing research, and she was a listed co-author on a published article in, in a major science journal. And I understand at a very high level what they were doing, but I couldn't even quote the title because it was so complicated. You know, <laughs> I like showed it to a to a real scientist and they're like, oh yeah, that's really cool. I was like, I have no idea what that even means. It's not <laughs> that's not English words there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so yeah, so that was great. And that was a great gig that I did for several years. So I had that gig and then I had just when RSS was starting to become a thing and just just before blog blogging started taking off as like a true marketing tool mm-hmm. rather than just writing articles for, to populate somebody's website. Uh, just as blogging was starting to take off as like a real tool in, you know, like 2005, you know, early 2006, mm-hmm. uh, I was approached by somebody who saw my work on associated content. So throughout all this time, I would spend, I basically spent two hours a day just writing articles and submitting them on associated content to pay the rent. Okay. So how did, <laughs> at that time, how did associate co- Associated Content's pay scale work? Were you paid per article? Did you get yeah. a 
Um, yeah. So you could submit for immediate review and payment or you, and then you would get also residual income from like page views. Okay. So I always submitted for immediate payment and they, and they would pay anywhere between uh, $5 and $50 per article, depending on who you were and the quality of your article. I actually, toward the end of my time writing there, when I sort of started tapering off, I was making on the high end of what you could make at associated content. Uh, just, just because of my, my output and well, one of the, one of the articles on the site put the Grand Canyon in Colorado. I've been to the Grand Canyon and I'm from Colorado and I could say they're not in the same place. No. So, <laughs> so, so, so it, it was really immediately obvious that even though, you know, I may not be the best writer out there. I was, I was pretty good for, for associated content. You had something to offer. I did. And, and so I did, I spent two hours, I would spend two hours each day consistently producing that content because that was, that was rent and grocery money. So was that, was that really enough, the two hours a day to, to cover the rent and, and the, and more? Yeah. For the speed that I write at the speed that I write. Yes. Yes, it was. that's, Um, That's pretty, that's a, that's a, really inspirational tidbit for people out there. You know, there's a lot of people who think, oh, I could never freelance, especially people with full-time jobs. You know, like me, I was thinking, how would I have time to do this? But two hours a day, um, even even one hour, if you compare the rent with two hours a day, imagine you start with one hour a day. You know, there's there's so many great opportunities. And um, I, I'd hate for people to be afraid from trying because they feel like they don't have the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and you can definitely, you know, leverage up that. And like I said, I mean, I had somebody who her name's Robin Tippins and, and, uh, she's done stuff like with, uh, with the Yahoo community and she's done stuff with current TV. And so she's done some of this stuff in the past, but at the time she was working for a different company and they were looking to start marketing, you know, start selling blogging services to companies as, as part of their marketing budget. And she was just, she was on associated content looking for people who were consistent and who could be reliable posters. And she just saw that I did it on my own without having, you know, she just saw my output, right? You're prolific. (laughs) Yeah, I was. That's, that's the, that's the thing that's, you know, got me where I am today is just like output straight output. How long was it, did it take you on average? Let's say we're writing a 500 word article. How fast could you crank out 500 words? This is so embarrassing. Um, I, if it's something that I know really well and it's something that doesn't require an interview and it's just like a general knowledge, general purpose, general article that's just cranked out, I can do it in 10 to 15 minutes. That's pretty sweet. That's, 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 that's that's not embarrassing. You should be proud of that. (laughs) And then if it's something that requires more work and more effort and more research and something that I'm not really familiar with, or if I've interviewed somebody, it usually takes between, it usually takes, it can take anywhere from uh, half an hour to an hour. Okay. So well, if, if we think about the math on it, you know, if you were spending, let's say you're writing 500 word articles and you could write one every 15 minutes, two hours a day, you know, that you could see how the money would add up pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of why I say with a caveat, like just at the speed I was writing them, uh, that kind of, it kind of helps. And then I was being paid at the high end for that. Uh, but you know, I mean, you can, you can start to build up to a living. I mean, the going rate for an article of 500 words is, is not, 
you know, five to $15 anymore. It's higher. So, you know, somebody could, could potentially earn more. If you were, if you were someone brand new with very little experience, but knew a lot about a specific topic Mm -hmm. and, and they came and said, Miranda, can you connect me with someone who wants to hire me who does this? What should I charge? What would you think a new person, brand new starting out, should charge for a you know short you know, 500 word article today? I would say 20 to 25 dollars at the low end. And if you can get away with it, 50 to 75. And that's just starting out. I make, I make more than that right. for most of my stuff right now. Yeah, so that's great. You know, so even, so let's say $25, let's say you're starting brand new, no experience. But if you I would, could do one of those a day, five days a week, you know, that, that's some spending money there. It, it is. But I would say, but if you're going to ask that, I mean, I would say you would need to have some sort of expertise in the subject to make up for the fact that you haven't been a writer. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total so, sense. Yeah, as you build that so, portfolio up, right. you can obviously charge more, charge. Which, which both you and I have done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it, take, it takes time. You know, I've, I've had people be like, well, can I like just you know, how have you done this? How have you built up this reputation? How do you get these, you know, high things? I want to do this in six months. I'm like, I've been doing this for 10 years. And I didn't start making six figures until maybe I'd been doing this for five years, maybe five or six years. So it takes, I think it takes time if you want to build up that reputation. I mean, I guess you could, you could probably do it faster and I'm kind of a slow mover. I, build on solid foundation to solid foundation. I don't take a lot of risks. So I suppose if you took more risks and you got out there more and you promoted yourself more, you could probably speed that process up. Uh, but it did take me five or six years to get to the point where I was making six figures as a freelancer. Well, that's that also a great success story. Six figure freelancer. There's um, that, That's how the full-time thing works. I was saying on the last episode, I was saying, the reasons that I didn't become a full-timer and the big thing for me was, you know, the stable job, which I know right. what I'll get every paycheck and you know, things like health insurance, which I have, I have a little baby girl on the way. So that means a lot more now than, than it did when it was just me living in a cheap apartment in Denver yeah. by myself. Oh, uh, congratulations. I didn't you. know you were expecting. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, have, we have a little, you're not more. expecting, but yes, my wife, I mean, I'm expecting my wife to, to, to do something, I guess. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so we have, with all that, you know, with the mortgage, the family, all that, it, it makes me you know, feel, feel comfortable in my part-time freelancing world, making a great supplemental income, but doing it full time, seeing people like you, these great success stories, making six figures, you can see how someone might make the jump from, from having a full-time job and freelancing on the side to going full-time into the freelancing world. Right. And there's lots of ways you can do that. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I, I, what I started doing was I lined up quite a few gigs as a staff writer on other people's blogs. And when you work for the independent bloggers, you cannot charge as much because they can't afford to pay as much. But the, the thing was, is I could be, I, at one point I was writing for 20 to 30 different blogs. That's pretty amazing. I used to see your name. I still see it all over, but I used to see it. You used every to see single, it a lot more. <laughs> every single friend's website, I'd see your name pop up every once in a while. Like, what? Miranda's there too? Wow. <laughs> yeah. There was a time where it was, you could not escape me. And it was, <laughs> I always felt, I felt a little bad about the fact that you could not escape me. Well, but how many hours were you working at, at your 
say peak hours that you were Yeah, doing. so peak hours, I was probably working maybe 30 hours a week at so, the blogging. So still less than 40 hours a week and making a full-time living there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so what I did was I had, I had a core of, they weren't high paying jobs, but I had a core of low paying jobs that were steady and that were like, they contracted with me and I just provided like a one or two blog posts a week for them every And then every month I'd invoice them. And so what I did was I had these low paying jobs, but they were, they had kind of long-term security and that was my core. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the rent and the groceries. And as I got those, I cycled off of writing for associated content. Does that make sense? So I yeah. sort of moved on. They paid more than associated content. So I sort of you moved up, on. You upgraded I up, a little. I upgraded. Yeah. And I had this core and I just wanted to make sure I had the core because I was the primary breadwinner for my family. Well, I, Technically, I still am now the pri- primary <laughs> breadwinner for my family. I've got a son to take care of. So... <laughs> And he's going to be a teenager and teenagers get expensive. But they cost more than babies, I'm guessing, at least after the initial getting them out part. You know, that, that's right, the expensive yes. part. <laughs> yeah. Once you well, get them home, they're not all that expensive. Well, they're the diapers. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Diapers are not, they're, they're not cheap, but no. hey, there's, there's more expensive, worse things in the world. You know, when I was a teenager, I wanted um, things like Xboxes and well, it wasn't Xbox yet. It, those didn't exist. When I was a teenager, I wanted, wanted the, a sweet uh, Sega system, right? But I, I'm, a little younger than that one. I did have a Sega. That was in high school. I wanted the. It was the PlayStation Two. Was the big one I got in high school. Ah, uh, I see. Three hundred bucks, you know, compared to diapers and with all the games, and then I needed the TV. It it, it becomes quite a uh, quite an expensive collection. That yeah, was it, my taste. If my son wants all that business, he can pay for it himself. That, that's what I ended up having to do. My parents were like, "You know, we bought you your old Nintendos when you were a kid. Now you can go get a job." And I did. My first job is. Um, that, that was not freelancing related at all. <laughs> I, uh, actually, I worked at a Boy Scout camp. It was my first job and I was paid $5 a week my first summer. So that oh, was, wow. um, that didn't even pay for my uniform that I had to have. My parents paid for that. They were happy to. But I, yes. uh, also, uh, when, when I turned 16 and got a car, my parents said, you can have this car, which was a total piece of crap, but I had to insure it and pay for the gas and the repairs. So, uh, so I got a job at Target and the one by my house and that paid for my car and, and those needs. Plus a little leftover to go buy a PlayStation 2 with my employee discount. Nice. nice. Yeah, I, got, nice. I think I got about 20, 15, 20% off, which that adds up on 300 bucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it so, does. Still, still cheap, still less than diapers, though, I guess, before we started <laughs> coming back around. So anyway, so, so now you're the, uh, the primary breadwinner. How many hours right. to, to make in, in that six, or if you're still in that six-figure range? Yeah, uh, I'm sure. How many hours a week would you say you work to maintain that now? Yeah. So right now I, I probably work about 20 hours a week. I need on, to, maybe I should go full time on freelancing. Now you're making me think twice. <laughs> well, I mean, part of it is, is I, I transitioned from, I transitioned from, I don't write for nearly as many blogs anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and now I've transitioned to writing for mostly corporate clients. I've actually come full circle because when I first started doing the, the blogging, when I first started moving from just doing articles for like the website or articles for the physics website, and I started doing the blogging. It was for corporate sites. It was like for corporate blogs. Mm-hmm. And then I got away from working for the corporate stuff and did a bunch of stuff for the independent bloggers. 
And now I've come full circle and I'm writing mostly for corporate clients again. You're charging them more than the first time around. Oh my gosh, yes. So how how did you make the leap from the you know, $50, $7,500 uh, a post rate to what you charge the corporate clients today? Um, I just, I basically went back to my training. So I, I have a communications degree. I did PR stuff. I just went back to what I learned about what to expect to pay professionals as you're, you know, doing these things. Mm -hmm. And I went back to the old school print rates, like for magazines and what I got paid when I did a few things for discover magazine. And I went back to those rates and said, this is what I'm charging corporate clients when they asked. <laughs> so when they all said, sure, you're worth and, that. No and they problem. said, of course, yes, fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's so, so going back to the, so I've just kind of come full circle and, and part of, part of being able to land those corporate clients is once again, uh, because it's all in the financial space. Mm -hmm. So it's goes back to building community, building, connections and relationship in the community and building your reputation. Uh, most of the corporation, the corporate clients that want to work with me want to work with me because they know that I've got, I've, because I've built up this reputation over these 10 years in my niche. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I focused on the personal finance niche after Probably about 2007, 2008 is when I started really focusing. I mean, I've been writing. I've been in the personal finance niche since 2006. But I started really focusing my energy on the personal finance niche 2007, 2008. And finally, in probably about 2009, 2010, it all starts to blur after a while. <laughs> but probably 2009, 2010 or so, maybe as late as 2011, is when I kind of moved away from the science, the people I was writing for in the science website and in the tech world. Cause I did write for some technology websites. Um, and in fact, actually until last year, when I moved away from, from Logan, Utah, I was writing for the local newspaper. I wrote a tech column for the local newspaper. Just. So do you just, think just because if you had, instead of personal finance, if you'd pick you know, a science subject or a tech subject that you could be in the same place today revenue wise just in that other area or do you think it's a special thing in the finance space or is that just because you know, because you put your effort and time there um i think i could probably do reasonably well in the tech in the tech sector and science and technology i don't think quite as well uh, i think there is something about the personal finance space and about companies in the personal finance space especially uh the older companies uh, the, you know, the, the, like the big old banks, yeah, the big old companies. standbys, the, the banks, the investment companies, because they're, they're transitioning into their, into the digital age. And they're really interested in making that transition. And so they're, they're interesting place because they understand what, what you do is worth. Does that make sense? Because they understand from a corporate standpoint, they ex what to expect to pay and they understand what it's worth. And they also understand that they need the help in this area. So that's, uh, that's one of the th reasons why I think the financial space is a special case. And I probably would not be making quite as much if I had ended up in another niche. I mean, I think I'd be doing well enough to make a living mm -hmm. and I, and I could probably get up to that point where you're making a living, but I don't think 
that it I would be making quite as much. And I don't think uh, that I would have the situation I'm in without being in the financial, the financial world. So if you were and going back to to the new guy, we, we just said mm-hmm. what a first timer might expect to get paid per article if they were starting out. If you could give them advice on how to pick a topic area or, or something that they can try to become the recognized expert in, what advice sure. would you give them? Um, I would I would say you definitely need to get to know other people in that niche as well. It's kind of interesting when you're a professional freelancer and a professional blogger, everybody is sort of the competition, but they're also not the competition, right? right. You're in it together. Like, like you are kind of the competition, but you're not. <laughs> right. We're, we're, we're in it together. Uh, I, I feel like it's, there's a true thing to that. I think it's, there, well, there's two parts. Like if you look at, I'll use a stock market analogy because this is a, a, a personal finance right. focused uh, <laughs> website. Uh, right. When you know one company does really well, their stock can go up and down quite a bit. But when the economy does really well, it's like a bunch of uh, rubber duckies in a bathtub. When you raise the water level, they all float up. So if we can all move up together, and I'd say that in any freelance space, it's good for everybody. And sure, you want to be the one who catches the wave and rides to the top. But we all go up and down together as as writers or or any other freelance profession, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. I, that's, I think that's a good, that's a good comparison to make. So yeah, I just, I, I really, I really think that getting to know people in that area and getting to be a part of the community, because a lot of, a lot of these niches now have communities, travel writers have communities, tech writers have communities, parenting bloggers have communities. They all have communities. And if you can get in and get to know people in that community and become a part of that community and actively participate, then it's easier to build a reputation. It's easier to establish yourself and it's easier to meet the corporations and the companies that are in that niche, right? You don't get just invited like the parenting bloggers that end up going to Disney World, right? They get invited to Disney World, Um you know, they're, they're part of that because they're part of that community and they, they've gotten to know that. And for like a personal finance blogger, I always say, if you want to get to know the companies and you want to be able to meet the companies and you want to be able to meet other bloggers and you want to be able to meet those connections and start building your reputation, you know, you got to go to FinCon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really been pivotal in my both my blogging and my, and my freelance writing. Right. Connecting with people face to face who are willing to you know, pay you for something that you offer, that is hugely valuable. Actually, my, uh, one of my favorite clients, you know, all, all of my clients are favorite clients. Of one of my favorite clients, um, I, I was, I run it. There's an event called Ignite. They do them all yep. around the world. They're five minute speaking events. And we do an Ignite FinCon that I'm the guy who runs. And at the end of, I, I did a talk and one of the things I said, Oh yeah, I'm a freelancer for hire. And at the end of my talk, Somebody came up to me who worked for a big investing company and they said, we'd like to hire you. And we awesome. talked the next day and they became a client a week later. It was all uh, signed and done. And it just couldn't have happened without that face-to-face meeting. But- exactly. And I think that that's, that's, it's really, it's really an odd thing because when I first started 10 years ago, the whole point of being online and being an online freelancer was that you never had to meet anyone ever. Right. And maybe you never even had to talk to anyone on the phone. I still have clients <laughs> that I've never spoken to on the phone that have been year plus clients who are very good. 
but oh the, uh, yeah the i find that the top payers are ones that you have personal more personal relationships with oh definitely for sure so um just for people's knowledge you know we t- i've talked about fincon quite a bit in the uh, in, in this podcast but there are other similar industry conferences you know one um, i actually kicked myself that i missed it when i lived in denver and it was two hours away in the mountains there's a big one i think it's called tbex something like yes, that yes tbex that's yes the that's big a good one travel for travel conference mm-hmm. and i read a little bit about travel and i have a friend who went made all these huge connections and you know there's there's different perks to different industries you know in finance, you know, people are probably a little more money driven. That might be part of why you can demand higher rates. But if you're a travel writer, you get free trips and things. I know people who've gotten sent to resorts and um, these awesome trips all around the world because they're travel bloggers and they've built up an audience or they are right. freelancers who have that reputation that, yeah, if I, if you give me this experience, I will get that experience out there. And you obviously have to have journalistic integrity and be honest. You can't just write good reviews because you got free stuff. But, you know, travel blog, travel blogging has conferences. Uh, every industry has its right. thing. Right. And there's type A parent for the parenting bloggers. That's a really good one to go to. Um, so, yeah, there, there are plenty of plenty of conferences. So your first, you know, your first uh, move should be, well, what are the industry conferences? What's going on in my niche? And, and where should I be? And there really is a, a conference I find for everything. Actually, my, uh, my brother-in-law does you know, heavy equipment work with big tractors and things oh, like yeah. that. And he went to Las Vegas a couple of years ago for the World of Concrete Expo. And I just happened to be in Las Vegas. It was around, around my birthday earlier this year. And I saw these big signs, World of Concrete Expo. And like, if I wanted to be a concrete blogger or a construction equipment blogger, this would be the place to be. So there really is something, I think for every, I mean, if there's something for concrete, there's something for everybody. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. For so. sure. So don't sure. feel just because so for <laughs> listeners, just because we talk about personal finance so much here on this podcast, don't feel like you'd have to be restrained to that. And it actually helps me and Miranda out if you don't go that way, because yeah, all the, all the boats go up together, all the rubber duckies, but you know, it's more rubber duckies, I guess. So, yeah. but really, it, you've got to find what you're passionate about, what you care about to some level, because if you're not interested in it, it is so hard to keep doing it over time. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. You want to do something that's interesting or at least um, like, cause I never thought I'd do money. Just somebody asked me to write about it one day and I was like, I guess it's like math. So it's all science, math, money. It's all. Yeah. It's, it's all the same. Yeah. And <laughs> IRA, <laughs> you know, Newton's but, third law, whatever. That's right. It all. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, but I found it, I, I do find it interesting. I love money. I, I think it's very interesting to write about. And especially when you, when you start factoring in behavior and sociological factors, it's just very interesting to write about. But at the same time, what keeps me really focused in the money niche are the people. And so if you can find something that interests you, plus you get to meet interesting people at these conferences, then it's much easier to keep going and much easier to battle that burnout. Do you ever have days or months that you feel like, how do I keep doing this? How do I go forward? You feel, do you ever feel the, the blogger burnout? 
A little bit. Yeah. There are, there are days when I'm just like, I really don't feel like writing. I don't want to do this. What am I thinking? And why, you know, there are some days and sometimes during tax season, when I'm writing yet another blog post about the difference between tax credits and tax deductions, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, why, why? Could, could you explain it right now? For, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, <laughs> using, diff- using different words. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and when uh, I'm writing, and when I'm writing my fifth post about how to get your child involved in their own back to school shopping and saving money. Um, you know, when I, when I'm doing that, there are times when I'm just like, why, why? That's so what, what tricks do you use to get yourself through it? Yeah. So mostly it just goes back to, um, it goes back to if, if I'm having a really hard time, I'll just go take a break, go work out, go for a walk, go watch a movie, play a game with my son, go take a shower, just something else, just take a break and then come back to it. Uh, and then, but then sometimes if you're on a deadline, you don't have that luxury and you have to do what Stephen King says, which is just get to work. Yeah. Yeah. Put the words on the page, turn off Facebook, put your phone away and just do it. Yeah. I get that. and sometimes you do. Sometimes you have to power through. We we always think, oh, well, it's this charmed life. And a lot of the time, yeah, it is. I get to choose my hours. I get to choose my clients for the most part. Once you get to a certain level, you can turn down work if you don't want to do it. Um, I, I turned away. I, I've, I've had a couple that I've said, thank you. I'm ready to move on. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's bittersweet because you're turning away money and someone who's put their trust in you. But you know there's bigger dollar signs down the road or that have already come up and that's why you're, you're making that move. Or, or you just want the time back. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is, as a freelancer full time, that's a, that's a, a huge perk. If I, you know, when I'm at my day job, um, you know, full time, I work in an office. If I get stuck on a spreadsheet, I can't, um, you know, go play a game with my kids and then come back in an hour and get back to work. That's, that, that would be right. frowned upon in my industry. <laughs> but right. as a freelancer, you as long as you get, your work done and you meet your deadlines, you can pretty much do what you want, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I just moved across the country and I didn't even have to meet my deadlines. I was just like, I'm moving across the country. So this is going to be late. And there you go. <laughs> and, and really, I, I, that's not something I would do like on a regular basis, but if you've built up that reputation and you know, normally I'm on time and nor- normally I'm early. And so when you've done that, and if you can be, come to somebody and be like, for three years, I've done everything on time. This one week while I'm moving across the country, it's just, you know, it's going to be late. I need a couple more days. Yeah. And, and a lot of them, you know, are very understanding about that if, if you let them know ahead of time. And as long as it's not something that becomes a habit, you don't want to become like the flaky freelancer that they don't want to work with. Do you ever take advantage of that? location independence you can have and you know, take extended trips anywhere? Or do you still live a, a more you know normal stay at home, travel, take vacations kind of life? Yeah. So since I have a son and he's in school, <laughs> I'm kind of limited as to how, how nomadic I can be. Right. And because I refuse to homeschool, I think people who homeschool are awesome and that's great. And <laughs> That's sweet, but I don't think either my son nor I would live that through that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's homeschooling in our family's future. It would uh, <laughs> definitely not be for us. So, since this since this is a school issue, 
most of the time the trips go around school holidays. So like we go for a week for spring on spring break and that's fine. And we take trips during the summer. We go camping. We do stuff like that. So it is really more of a normal stay at home kind of life when he's done with school. I don't know. I might I might want to travel more and I may become more of a nomad. You never run up into that limit of number of vacation days you can take. Oh, yeah. And get stuck in the summer and be like, oh, I wish we could take an extra week because you can. Yeah, I can. I I never run into that problem. I can always, you know, and if I if I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to the spa today. Well, my, you know, because my son's at school. So I do a lot of that kind of stuff while my son's in school during the day so that I'm home when he is. So I'm like, I'll go to the spa or I'll go have my hair done or I'll go meet somebody for lunch. I can do that. And if I want to shift some of my work to Saturday morning, that doesn't matter. I can do that. Do you typically work Monday through Friday during the day or do you regularly work on weekends and evenings and have that kind of more sporadic hours? Yeah. So I try during the school year, I try to just kind of work Monday through Friday mm-hmm. uh, and have a set kind of work time. During the summer, things get a little bit crazier. During school holidays, things get a little bit crazier where I just sort of work when I can. And and then Saturdays and Sundays come into play where I just, you know, it's kind of like, well, we're going to go do this on Wednesday. So I'm going to go. So that means I'm going to have to do work on Saturday. That's great. So we're, we're getting towards our time now. So yeah. I have one last kind of open-ended question. Okay. If somebody had never freelanced before and wanted to get started in anything, whether it's writing or otherwise, what kind of tips and motivation could you offer for them? Well, I would say start out, start out by setting aside time to do the work. So set aside work time and set aside job finding time. And that's what I did in the beginning. So I had my two hours where I did associated content and then I would spend two hours looking for work. So I'd spend time working at the websites or I'd update my resume or I'd work on my website if you're or work on my portfolio. So, you know, I'd have here's my solid work time. And when I'm done doing the solid work, then I spend time looking for more work. Does that make sense? So I say if you want to do freelancing part time or if you want to transition to full time, you definitely need to set aside a chunk of time where it's uh, work development, getting work. So applying for jobs fixing your portfolio, building your website, uh, connecting with people in your field, that kind of thing. So you definitely need to take time to do that. And then other than that, it really just, it really boils down to making the time to work and making the time to keep looking for work. Well, that's, that's great advice and, and hugely valuable. This whole thing has been, has been fun. It's been interesting and, and I'm sure lots of people will get lots of great use from it. So I hope so. Be- because you're such an awesome and inspirational person, I'm sure many listeners will want to come find you and connect with you. And you even have a book they might be able to read. Could you tell a little about that and where people can come find you? Yeah. So the book is called Confessions of a Professional Blogger. It's just a basic handbook on getting started. It's not about how you're going to make six figures in the next six months. It's not super glamorous and it's not about monetizing your blog. So <laughs> but, but it's I'm going to get that out it's there on right a topic. now. It's focused. It's focused on how to get started as a freelancer. So. I'll, I'll have a link to that on uh, Amazon through, through in the show notes. So uh, you can go to personalprofitability.com slash episode 15. And you'll find that there and links to the awesome places Miranda's about to tell you about where you can connect right. with her. Right. So MirandaMarkwit.com. I write about all things freelance freelancing there. 
So more freelancing tidbits there. Um, I have a YouTube video channel now where I have short two minute, two to three minute videos about just like freelancing questions people send me. So it answers them. So it's a video series and you can get to that through MirandaMarquette.com. And then also my personal finance blog is PlantingMoneySeeds.com. Well, there you have it, everyone. Miranda Marquette. The amazing freelancer extraordinaire. I'm going to keep throwing on adjectives. <laughs> or there. something. Yeah, or something. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to be here with us today. Thank you, everyone who's listened. I appreciate you making it here to the end. If you, uh, if you have a minute and you liked what Miranda and I had to say and the podcast in general, it would make a huge difference to me to get the word out if you could just leave a little rating in iTunes. Hopefully, you click the five-star button. If not, send me an email. Let me know what I could do better for you. And until next time, everyone, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.